successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show and online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello everybody and welcome to the Grill Nation Show with Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today if you're joining on the radio on KMBZ 980 AM or on a podcast. We're on all podcast networks, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, everywhere online on podcasts. Uh, we're going to have an awesome, awesome show today. We're going to be talking all about uh, charter schools here in the region. We're going to learn more about their work uh, that they're, they're doing, the why behind it how they work with uh, refugees from, from Afghanistan, from Haiti, from all over the uh, world, as well as talk about some of the things that they've been doing as far as uh, working with uh, ELLs, students, and whatnot. You can connect with me on social media. I am on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Jason Grill. Um, also, if you'd love to be on the show, we'd love to have you. Uh, you can email me at grillnationshow at gmail.com to collaborate, partner, or be a guest on the Grill Nation Show with Jason Grill. We'd love to hear from you. Let's introduce our guest today. Um, we have a packed house. Um, we have uh, Dr. Doug Thayman, who's the executive director of the Missouri Charter Public School Association. Um, Kirsten Lepari Brayman, who's the CEO of Gordon Parks Elementary. Hannah Van Ostel, who is the, uh, an elementary uh, principal at the uh, Kansas State International Academy. And uh, Jamie Jansen, who is a middle school principal at the Kansas City International Academy. We're going to have them all here on segment one to tell us a little bit about their backgrounds. And, uh, and then from there on, we will uh, dive in deeper with each one of them on different segments into their work uh, with charter schools in our region. Let's uh, let's start with Doug. Doug, introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your background and journey, my friend. Jason, appreciate the opportunity to, to be here today and to talk about charter public schools. Uh, I began my career as a traditional uh, school teacher and elementary school principal, worked in a, in a district and uh, in just south of St. Louis, had had a great opportunity there with some really wonderful families. Uh, but one of the things I found was that a number of my students didn't really live right around where the school was located. And so we were they were missing out. They were missing out on opportunities that other other kids had uh, opportunities for really being involved and their parents to be involved in the school. And so um I opened one of the first charter schools in St. Louis, Missouri, back many years ago in 2000, and uh, it was just really a great opportunity to to bring kids to school in their community and provide really, really uh, great options based on their individual needs and to really individualize their education, and, and that's led to where I am today, uh, really wanting to speak about the importance of 
charter public schools and making sure every family has options. They have great choices for their kids. Mm -hmm. Well said. And your website is uh, mocharterschools.org as well. Um, let's continue on. Kirsten. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. I said I'm Kirsten LaPerry Brayman. I'm the CEO here at Gordon Parks. I'm in my 25th year of education, and I actually started in private schools in St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, seems like forever ago. Um, as a military wife, had the opportunity to move around and uh, lived in Washington, D.C. for four years, where I had the opportunity to work in Alexandria, Fairfax County Schools. And when I moved back to Missouri after my husband's retirement, worked for the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education as a federal supervisor for the Northwest region. And that's where I discovered and fell in love with charter schools, and especially Gordon Parks. After being with the department, I did work in the Kansas City Public Schools, uh, overseeing federal programs there. And then Gordon Parks just stuck with me. And through a lot of different channels, working as their grant administrator, working with their chief financial organization, EdOps, as their um, CFO, I gradually moved into now my fourth year as the CEO here um, and love it um, immensely. Uh, I live in Kansas City. I live in downtown. I live near where a lot of my families come from. My family owns businesses here in the city. So it's very important to me that the same opportunities that my children have had for choice, that my the families in the whole Kansas City area, especially in our urban um, areas, have that opportunity to have choice and I'm um, big supporter of giving them any and every charter school. Of course, you know, we love them to come to your school, but not everything fits for everybody. And so charter schools give parents that choice to really pick what is the best place for their child to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Uh, quite, a, uh, quite a journey you had, for sure. Uh, Hannah, let's move next to you. Um, I'm an elementary principal at Kansas City International Academy. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting us to join you today. Um, I was super lucky because I did my undergraduate at UMKC, and I was in a program called the Institute for Urban Education. So that program prepares teachers to um, serve and teach in diverse settings. Um, and during that time, I had a lot of experiences in different schools in Kansas City, both public and charter. Um, and I think something that I, I quickly learned was that the charter schools that I was able to have those experiences in were really um, serving their students very well and providing equitable um, education. Um, so my heart was very pulled to go teach in a charter school. So I was able to do that. Um, after graduating, I taught in charter schools. And then I um, actually was an instructional coach. So I got to work with teachers, helping them become better teachers um, and do what was best for their students using their data. Um, and then I moved into an assistant principal role at another charter school and then found my way here to KCIA where I've been principal for five years. Um, and what's so special to me about KCIA is that we are really able to serve our diverse um, student population because we have the autonomy to make our choices for our students that we know what they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I got to ask you guys, too, at some point to tell me where your all schools are located just so I, I, we can get a kind of a geographical perspective there. Um, and we'll finish the segment with Jamie. Jamie, welcome to the show, uh, middle school principal at um, Kansas City International Academy. Thanks for having me. My journey is actually kind of opposite of Hannah's, where I started in the public school system, the Missouri public school system, where I was a teacher for 17 years. And I taught age ranges from first grade. I taught elementary for nine years. 
And my last eight years, I did special education at the secondary level. I then moved to the charter school to become an instructional coach for four years. And this is currently my first year as a principal. And uh, I would agree, my favorite thing and the difference between me being in a public school for 17 years and being in a charter, the autonomy is amazing. We can say, we can survey our staff, we can survey our students, we can look at student data and know exactly what our kids need, and we can plan our professional development the, ne the next week on that. So that is what helps drive our school, is that we can individualize trainings for teachers and instruction for our kids, which is you don't always get in a very large public school district. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. You guys all did great, man. I can tell you work in education. You, uh, you all are very succinct and, uh, and it can explain yourselves very rapidly and quickly and very well. We're going to talk more about charter schools on the show today. It's going to be fascinating to talk to each of these guests individually about kind of what they've been working on and kind of what's next and some of the challenges that they face uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and some of the great opportunities as well. You're listening to The Grill Nation Show here on KNBZ 980 AM via podcast or online at our website, grillnationshow.com. We'll be right back with uh, Doug Thaman, who is the Executive Director of the Missouri Charter Public School Association. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Grill Nation Show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on the radio, on podcast, on a website, or on our live stream here on social media, where you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, at Jason Grill. We're uh, having a discussion today all about public charter schools here in Missouri and in the Kansas City region. Very fascinating uh, conversation so far. We've learned a little bit about our guests today, uh, and we're going to start off with Doug Thayman, who is the executive director of the Missouri Charter Public School Association, MCPSA. Their website is mocharterschools.org. Put that up on the screen as well. Um, Doug, welcome back to the show. Tell us a little about uh, the uh, Missouri Charter Public School Association and kind of some of your missions and goals. And explain to us a little more about the organization. Great. Thanks, Jason. Uh, so the Missouri Charter Public School Association, is, we are a, a nonprofit organization that works with, with all of the charter public schools in Missouri. Um, but we really have one primary objective, and, and that is to, to work toward ensuring that every, every public school student in the state of Missouri has access to quality educational options. Uh, we want families, and we believe families have a right to make a choice that they uh, you know, one size does not fit all. It did one size didn't fit all for my kids and families need that opportunity to, and deserve it to be able to make those choices. Mm -hmm. So again, explain to us, you know, just a very basic question here. Um, what is a public charter school? So the, the, the three most important things to remember about charter public schools is they are free. They are public and they're open to all. And that's that open to all is really super important because charter public schools aren't uh, aren't private schools that are selecting students or where you have to apply to be included uh, and for your child to go there. If, if somebody's interested in a charter public school, family's interested, they they apply. Uh, and if there are more students than are there are seats in the school, there's a free random lottery. Uh, so that every child has an equal option. 
um, because we really want to make sure those seats are, are filled with, with, you know, kids that, um, that best will, will uh, perform in that school and really do a great job. So you would say that um, the real difference between public charter schools are kind of those three things you mentioned. Uh, they're free, they're public, and they're open to all. Yeah, I think for, for parents, that those are the, the things that are the greatest importance. As a charter public school, there are some autonomies that the school has. I mean, they must follow the same uh, rules, laws, regulations around health and safety and they have to meet the same academic learning standards as any public school in the state of Missouri. Uh, but when it comes to how the budget is spent, how decisions are made, how professional development is scheduled, what are the needs of each of those individual kids, there's autonomy to make those decisions closer to the classroom, to make those decisions uh, in the building where the kids are located. And, and that just makes sure that, that that school is serving those kids. Uh, they're not trying to serve a one size fits all model for the community. They're really focused on the kids they have. Mm -hmm. What, what, how many public school or charter schools are we looking at here in the Kansas city area? You know, in, right now in Kansas city, there are 20 charter public schools uh, that comes to about 33 buildings serving just about close to 13,000 students uh, in, in Kansas city. It's, it, we're very close to 50% of the public school population attending charter public schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what are some names of those schools? Essentially, we'll, we'll have some on the show today, but but some of the others maybe that we've heard of. I know there's there's some like De La Salle I've, I've heard of before. What what are some of the other ones that maybe we might be familiar with? Yeah, some may be familiar with Citizens of the World, Kansas City, which is a, a midtown charter school serving families in that midtown community, primarily uh, University Academy, uh, which is a, a larger charter public school that's been in business for well over 20 years now, I believe. Uh, there's the Ewing Marion Kaufman Charter School. There's the Frontiers Public Schools, Crossroads Public Schools, Allen Village. Um, I could go on and on. There, there's, there's so many of them, right? And you said, you said what, around 13,000 students? About 13,000 students, uh, just shy of that. And, and what is really the great thing is all of those students, uh, the school they're in is where their family feels like that's the best place for their child to receive their education. It's best geared towards their child's needs. Um, there are also students who, who, you know, families whose students attend the, the local public school district. And, and if they feel that's the best place for their child, that's great too, because there are some great public schools there as well. And we want that. We want a, a landscape of lots and lots of great public schools where every child is being successful. Yeah. And how, and how do you ensure that Doug? we're talking to uh, Doug Feynman, who's the executive director of uh, the Missouri public, excuse me, the Missouri charter public school association, um, you know, accessibility and ensuring that they get a quality education is important. It is. And, and there are, there are a number of ways that that's ensured for the charter school model. Uh, every charter public school has a, has a board. And that board is responsible for ensuring that the, the educational quality is of the highest standard and those kids are receiving a great education. And they're responsible for that school. It's their building. Uh, then there is a charter public school sponsor who has the, the legal authority to make those decisions around, can that school continue to operate? Are they meeting the terms of their contract? Uh, does that school need to make some some critical changes to improve or does that school 
not meet the conditions for renewal and, and is no longer in business. And then there's another layer of the, the State Board of Education who uh, provide that oversight of those sponsors. Uh, and then ultimately, one of the greatest places for accountability is parents. Parents are choosing with their feet. They are, they are voting with their feet. They're deciding where to enroll their child. And if that school is not meeting their child's needs, they're going to move them somewhere else. And they should. And that is, there's no greater accountability than that. One of the challenges that you've been going through, obviously, and everyone has, is COVID-19. Um, what, was that, what has that experience been like for charter schools, um, both at the beginning and really kind of more so today, if you could catch us up on today? Yeah, you know, I mean, COVID-19 brought brought challenges to all educational institutions across the country, and, and many of those challenges were very similar. But one of the things that I was really, uh, really proud of our, our public charter schools about was the way they were able to quickly pivot, the new buzzword, right, pivoting, and uh, really able to meet the needs of their kids, making sure they had the technology and the equipment that they needed, making sure that families were receiving food, uh, making sure that families had their, uh, all of those conditions met to be able to uh, ensure that their child, while they were at home, had access and opportunity to continue their education. And then providing those one-on-one supports that, you know, many of our families come from, uh, you know, parts of the community that have been for years been marginalized. And so it was really an opportunity and our school stepped up to the plate and making sure, Hey, we want to ensure all of your needs are being met as best as we possibly can. Uh, and just making sure everybody was okay. And, and I continue to see that today. So even though we're still in a pandemic, but the conditions have changed a little bit, uh, we still see that kind of attention to the kids and to their families and, and uh, I just couldn't be prouder of the job they're doing. Yeah, and what was the movement like? Uh, we keep reading about movements in different schools and whatnot. Did you see an increase in, in public charter schools during this time? You know, we didn't. We did not see a lot of movement within the community itself. We did see some movement in uh, in families who actually had to leave the Kansas City community uh, because they had to stay with a family member, maybe in a different part of the state uh, or outside of the state. And so there was some choice making there about, you know, how long are we going to be here? And, and do we, is this a permanent move or a long-term move? Uh, but within the, the schools themselves, we saw families really stuck with their school and the schools really stuck with their families. And that, that helped to make sure that families, there was stability there and they didn't have to move. Mm-hmm. Quickly, Doug, we got about two minutes left in your segment. Um, you have a lot of challenges, of course, and opportunities, but one of those is funding equity. Tell us about funding equity and kind of what that means for, for you and, and the state of Missouri. Yeah, I appreciate the question. The, you know, it, it, it's no secret that in the state of Missouri, uh, public school funding is just not, it's not sufficient for anybody. Um, but there's an additional layer that uh, just came out of uh, some some errors, some oversight in the way the charter public school law was written, uh, that the result of that now is uh, our, our nearly 13,000 students are each receiving uh, you know, about anywhere from $800 to $1,000 a year less uh, than their public school counterparts. And when you take you know, the number of students enrolled 
pool times that much money, it really is a significant lack of dollars towards resources that, that our kids really deserve, that they're entitled to. It's, it's tax dollars that families are paying for their child's education. And, and we're trying to fix that glitch. Uh, we are trying to, uh, to see a change in uh, funding equity legislation that would make sure that all public school students are receiving equitable funding for their education. Yeah, especially when you're talking about 50% of the schools um, and students, you know, this is a huge chunk. It's a huge chunk. And it's not about saying, you know, you have more, we don't have as much. It's about saying, look, let's make sure that equitably everybody, every child has an equitable share uh, because they deserve that. That's it's for their education and they need those resources. Well, Doug, I want to thank you for coming on the Grill Nation show today. Doug Thayman, Executive Director of the Missouri Charter Public Schools Association. Their website is mocharterschools.org. I appreciate all the great information. Obviously, uh, we appreciate you coming on and telling us more about Missouri's uh, public charter schools. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. I look forward to the, you're talking to some great schools about English language learners, ELL students, and refugees, and they've got a lot of great information to share. Appreciate it. Thank you so very much. We'll be right back on the Grill Nation show. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. I appreciate everyone as always listening. If you're listening on the radio on KMBZ 980 AM today or on our podcast, we're on Apple, Spotify, Google, and on Stitcher, or on my website at grillnationshow.com where you can find uh, information about all of our shows, all of our guests, and uh, more information about our show in general, as well as all those who, um, who you watch the show on our LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter page uh, each and every week. We are continuing on. We're talking about uh, charter schools today. We are joined by Kirsten lapari Brayman, who's the CEO of Gordon Parks Elementary School. Um, welcome back to the show, Kirsten. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of, um, uh, we'll start kind of maybe with your school. Tell us about your school. I want to learn more about uh, Gordon, uh, Gordon Parks Elementary here. Well, Gordon Parks is the best kept secret on the west side of Kansas City. We're as close to the state line as you can get in Kansas City. I can see KU from my office. Um, if that tells you where we're at located. Um, we are a pre-K-4 elementary school with about approximately 150 students. And we were one of the first charter schools here in Kansas City, founded in 1999 by Dorothy Curry and Sue Jarvis. They came out of their work with Operation Breakthrough, which is a tremendous early childhood center here in Kansas City. Um, they wanted to find a place for kids to go to school, and they founded this wonderful place to do that. Um, so we've, we've been here. We're in our 23rd year uh, here, and I am in my 12th year in some capacity with the school and my fourth year as CEO, or fifth. I can't remember. Well, 12, 12 years, huh? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry? You said 12 years? Uh, I've been with us in some capacity for 12 years. My husband retired from the Air Force um, 12 years ago, well, starting his retirement 12 years ago, we had an option to stay in D.C. or to move back to Missouri with family. And, and born and raised here in Kansas City, my family has grocery stores here in the area. And so it made sense to come back. And through my work with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed, the Kansas City Public Schools, I started working with this tremendous group of people um, at Gordon Parks. And it just I fell in love with it. And I haven't left. 
What what is your role like? Tell us about kind of what the role of a CEO is like at a, um, at a school. It, the best way I know how to explain it for people is if you think about it as in the terms of a traditional school, school district where you have district level school um, happening, budgets, um, oversight, facilities, things like that, HR, and then you have your building level, your principals. So as the CEO, I oversee the organization. I report directly to the board of directors. Um, I make sure the implementation of the strategic plan. I oversee the principal, the directors of curriculum and instruction facilities, security, um, chief development officer for monies that we need to raise for our school, things like that. And then so I'm working on that broad level, going out into the community, attending conferences, speaking on behalf of the school. Then I have a principal, uh, Dr. Kate Yoakum, who is phenomenal, and he um, oversees the day-to-day, oversees the teachers. Um, but during the day, I, I, I go into that role. So if a little one needs something, I'm right there. If I need to be in a classroom, I teach reading two days a week. I'm a reading specialist by trade. I did that in my former life. And I still use those skills with our kids here in the in the building. Yeah, we just had a, uh, a little one need you a second ago. Why were yes. we <laughs> I'm surprised I don't have someone on my lap. That's what I'm <laughs> about this time of day. Um, kind of tell us about your student demographics, if you would, a little bit, and kind of uh, some of some of the groups that you have at your school. Sure. So um, we represent a diverse group of students. We are eighty, um, about ninety percent African American and mixed race. Um, then we have another ten to eleven percent and growing in our Hispanic population, and then um, a small percentage of our students are white. Um, Predominantly, what we've seen over the last three years is an increase in our ELL or English language learners, especially some refugee families that have come in from Honduras. Um, there's a community. We have a, a tremendous Hispanic community in, in our in our city, and they're very close knit. And we have a family here that's been with us um, for a long time. And as new families are coming, refugees are coming in, they are actually bringing them to Gordon Parks to enroll into school. Some of them only being in the country two or three days. Um, they'll come in. We'll help them find housing. We help them get their utilities on, get them enrolled in school. What shots do they need? What records can we find? And then get these babies started as soon as we can. Then we're offering them, um, we're starting with their education, full immersion into the English language. We work with a program called Imagine Learning, which is electronic. The kids can hear it in their native language and then practice seeing and, and speaking, um, reading and writing in English and their native tongue at the same time. So we, but we offer so much more than just their education. Like I said, a lot of times our families will come to us regardless if they're refugee or not, but they need their lights turned back on or groceries, or we offer, we have two behavioral or resilience coaches here that are helping kids um, advocate. And our kids have a, a lot of trauma. Many of our children have a lot of traumas that come to us, whether it's coming into the country within two days, or they've seen a homicide in their neighborhood, or they have an incarcerated parent. So we provide a counseling service for them. We have a counselor here on staff. I have a family advocate, a full-time nurse. I have my two behavioral coaches, Adina, students um, that is working to meet the whole child, not just their academic needs. Yeah, you mentioned some of the things you're doing. Let, let's kind of talk in more in depth mm -hmm. about that. Um, we obviously have we've seen situations in Afghanistan and in Haiti mm -hmm. with many refugees coming to the United States. Um, tell us more kind of about kind of process and how you're working with, you know, a specifically maybe potentially a family right now, a uh, mm -hmm. Haitian family um, or a refugee family um, um, to do this. Like, let's get deeper into the dive here in the Afghanistan and Haiti refugees. A lot of times when a, when a refugee child comes into the building, they're referred by another family that's already been here. Um, we've had four over the last over the last three years that have come to us. 
by this one particular group that's been with us for a long time. When they come in, my executive assistant out front is bilingual. So immediately, Ms. Diaz is talking with them and finding out exactly what they need. Do they have housing? Do they have health care? Do they have access to food, water? Do they even know where to start? Um, and then we start our processes rolling as far as we get as much documentation as we can to get them in school to start them the very next day. We want them, the babies to start immediately. Mm-hmm. And in the background, what is happening is our family advocate, Ms. Diaz, myself, are then connecting with um, family members or community members that are close to that family because building trust and relationship is huge. It is the, the key to all of this working. And so we're building that relationship and then helping them. Do they do they have housing? Do they know how to get um, onto devices? Do they have a phone? Do they know how to get a hold of anybody? Do they have transportation? Do they need cabs, buses? Where are they living? And so we are facil- helping facilitate any need that they have outside of just school and helping the parents do that while the children are here during the day. Man, it's just crazy and fascinating to think about. Um, and just It takes a lot of people. It, it's a lot of moving parts that are happening. And we, we do it on a smaller scale than I think you're talking to Kansas International Academy, which I had the opportunity to work with um, for three years prior to. And it is the amazing things that happen, the community, it's not just the school resources, but the donors and the and community members around us, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Jewish um, Community Services, everybody kind of wraps around and helps and, and pitches in where they can uh, to help these families get as adjusted as quickly as possible. We mentioned on our first segment with uh, Doug about COVID. Um, where are you guys at at Gordon Park Elementary right now and kind of uh, how have you adapted recently? Well, we were we were one of the few that went. I'm so sorry, my phone's going off. Somebody needs something in the other room. Um, we were one of the few that went to what we call the hybrid model. We gave our parents a choice during the pandemic. When we shut down in March, we went fully virtual. We had our care team in full blown mode. We knew where 93 percent of our kids were at all time. In fact, we had families saying, "Please quit calling us. We're fine. We promise. We have food. We were doing door to door food delivery off our buses. Whatever the families needed." And the rule was. If a baby came to the bus, I don't care if they were Gordon Parks or not, you gave that baby food. It didn't matter. We were going we to take care of them. When schools started to reopen, our families had a choice. They could come um, virtual that semester or they could come in person. And we had about 40% of our families that decided to go virtual. So at that time, we had two full-time virtual teachers working with those kids. Everybody had a device. Um, the amount of donations that came to help connect people, connectivity resources that were available were unbelievable. So we are one-to-one with Chromebooks, iPads. So if for some reason we ever had to close our doors for a few days because of COVID or anything, our kids will have what they need and learning will continue. Um, After Christmas, we saw an influx of kids coming back. They were ready to come back to school. And this this year, we are 100% in person. Um, if there is a COVID-related issue, whether it needs to isolate or we need to, um, we're worried about contract tracing for a couple of days, we go virtual with those children right away. Um, our teachers are doing live teaching from their classrooms on iPads. Our care team is reaching out, making sure that their needs are being met. And then the kids are coming back and knock on wood, I'm very, very lucky. I've only had five children I've had to do that with since we started school in August. Wow. That's fascinating because I just was on an email chain this morning with uh, parents and they had, you know, eight of the kids had it or there was a carpool issue with a bunch of people having it. So, I mean, it's it's definitely out there. So that's very impressive that you've only had a few people. We are there. very, very, I'm very vigilant. Um, I'm a cancer cancer survivor. 
So for me, making sure that this building is extremely clean, I have a team that is, and our staff is unbelievable, but we do wear masks. Everybody wears a mask in the building um, because our children are under the age of 12 and they have no way of getting the vaccine. I will tell you that I am 98% vaccinated of all my staff in the building, um, which we're very excited about that, but it's not something I require. Um, if a staff member chooses not to be vaccinated, then they understand that they will go through testing and, and pool testing and things like that just to make sure they're safe. Uh, Kirsten lepari Brandon with Gordon Parks Elementary School. We have about a minute left. Kind of what's next for uh, Gordon Parks? What are you excited about moving forward and uh, into the future? Uh, I'm really excited about the potential of growing more. Um, we partnered with Upper Room and added a pre-K program two years ago, and I'm really excited about expanding that four-year-old program into my kindergarten. And hopefully in the next year or two, adding fifth grade and gradually increasing uh, our size and replicating the wonderful work this staff does here uh, everywhere else in the city that we can. Mm-hmm. And you guys are located again on the west side, you said? We are. We're at 37th and Wyoming. We're the old Volker High School building. So if you're over by KU and you happen to see it, that's us over there. Very cool. Well, hey, congrats on all your success uh, with what you're doing at Gordon Parks Elementary School. And of course, you know, in your career as well. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll be right back after the break with more of the Grill Nation show. Show with Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on the radio, on podcasts, on our website, or here on social media. Uh, we are talking all about charter schools today. Uh, again, I'm your host, Jason Grill. We are joined now on our, our next segment um, by Hannah Van Ostel and Jamie Jansen. They are with Kansas City International Academy. Uh, Hannah is the uh, elementary principal, and Jamie is the uh, middle school principal. So, welcome to the show, everyone. Um, you can, uh, you can go off mute here, Jamie. Um, let's get a little, let's get a little bit of a flavor about, um, Kansas City International Academy first. Um, why don't, uh, why don't one of you answer that question? Tell us a little bit about, uh, the school here. Yeah. So we are located in the Northeast area of Kansas City. Um, you can find us at 414 Wallace Avenue and you can actually see our school from 435, um, when you're kind of crossing over winter road or the independence avenue exit um so kansas city international academy is formerly uh della lamb charter school we were the first charter school to open in kansas city back in june of 1999. Um, we currently have 650 students kindergarten to eighth grade and we actually have 20 pre-k students um, with our partnership with della lamb um, our families come from all around the district, but the majority of them do kind of reside in this Northeast area. Um, we have a very high percentage of our students who qualify for free and reduced lunch. 100% of our students actually receive free and re- reduced lunch and fresh fruit and vegetable snack every single day. And 60% of our students qualify for English language learner support services. of those students are either refugee or immigrant students whose family have moved to the United States within the last three years. Um, And our students are richly diverse. They come from over 27 countries, um, and many of them arrived directly from refugee camps in Kenya and Thailand. And we speak over 15 languages here at KCIA. Wow. 
Very diverse population, for yeah. sure. Jamie, I want you to talk about a little bit about kind of how you guys kind of work with serving needs of refugees and immigrant families and maybe kind of talk a little bit about kind of how your school is different than others based on that population. Well, the first thing I want to say, because I feel like everyone asks this question, that our students speak 50 languages. We do not. <laughs> we do have on-site translators. But you would be surprised a lot of people ask, and we really don't have translators that know all 15 languages because there's so many different dialects in all parts of the country. So we do have to be creative. Sometimes we will run into languages that we don't, we cannot communicate as well with. Um, if you can imagine with 60% of our students being English language learners, it's not like a normal school in the way where you get a new student and you say, okay, here's your schedule. Here's your homeroom teacher. Have a great day. It's There's so many facets that come into that. So the first thing that we do is we have a face team that we've put together, which is a group of our translators and our social workers, and they each have caseloads of families. So they will have a caseload of families, and they help the family. Um, we help them with just even the basics of enrolling in school, but they take care of things outside of the school setting, like healthcare. How do they enroll in healthcare? Um, where do they get backpacks? We provide a lot of those kind of supplies for our families as well. Um, we partner with refugee resettlement organizations like Delalam, JBS, to help us find those resources, any resource you can imagine you would need if you came to a new country and knew nothing about it. So helping them to get jobs, uh, find transportation, how to ride the bus, um, anything you can imagine on the outside. But then when they come to the inside, there's just it feels like almost as much work because we have students that come um, they're 12 and they've never had school and they don't speak English. Or we get students that come that don't speak English that had math in Thailand, but it's different than it is here. So then we have to go through, how do we place this student? Um, what would be best for their learning needs? Um, and we kind of go from there. It takes a lot of people. Wow. So you said 15 languages? <laughs> yes. Wow. It's amazing to think about all the... Uh international folks that live here in our region, you know, and just all the different things they probably deal with. I mean, you know, Kansas City is not typically known as the most diverse city in the United States, of course. And so um, it'd be great if we could just get a bunch of people to live your lives for one day to see how diverse <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, you mentioned a lot about other services you provide and, and, and why that is so important to your students. Talk to us about kind of why relationships are playing such an important role for the school, because you, you talked about services and, and, and social services and partnerships are very important to that. How, how do you build those and how do you kind of how do, how do you navigate that? So, you know, focus on the important role of partnerships. Hannah, do you want to start or both you can take that one? I can start if you want me to, Hannah. Sure. Um, well, obviously, I mean, it, it, I mean, it takes a lot of. I don't want to, funding is one thing. I mean, we need a lot of support to help these families get exactly what they need. Um, many kids need glasses um, and they just really don't know how to go about doing it. And we have social workers in our building, but if the normal social worker role, there's only so much they can do, which is why those partnerships are so important. Um, Della Lamb provides early childhood for our kids, which is very important for just to make education equitable as well as start at zero plan. And then um, a lot of my middle school students, and I don't even know if we would call this a partnership, but it's just 
an example of how people from the outside helping are so important. A lot of our middle school students play, and I think some elementary kids, for a soccer club called Global FC. And it has already opened up um, doors for my middle school students that I can that I visibly see. And it's Global FC is a program that provides mentors. So our students are able to join a soccer team without transportation or funding, but they're able to join the team because their mentor takes care of that. And someone drives into practice and helps them get their uniform and their soccer shoes. And the benefits of just small things like that are amazing. And they've, they've opened doors for our students that a small thing like that makes a big difference. Yeah. Hannah, do you want to hit on any other? Yeah, I would just add to that, that just because of the state of healthcare in our country, we have to provide a lot of those things here at KCIA. So we have partnerships with different, um, you know, dental schools um, that they come in and they help our students get their dental cares met, um, their dental needs. We have partnerships with different local, um, you know, places that can come and give them a sports physical so that they can go and participate in sports. Um, we have, you know, places that we can take them if they need a vision screening, um, things like that. So all of that, those needs have to be met before our kids can learn. If we have a student who is in pain because they have a toothache, they're not able to learn. So those partnerships are very, very important to us. Mm -hmm. Very important. Um, and, you know, I want to end on this. You know, how can the Kansas City community support and welcome refugee children and families in general? Um, give us some advice, um, Hannah and Jamie. Yeah, I would say just be welcoming, you know, just be very welcoming. Smile and introduce yourself. Um, tell those families that you're so glad that they're here. A lot of times when they walk into our school and we greet them that way, that's just a tremendous relief to them. And then consider volunteering, like consider volunteering for Della Lamb, JBS, um, Global FC that Jamie talked about, things like that. Follow those organizations on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. They're always in need of different things. If you follow them, you can help out. Sometimes it's as simple as, hey, we're looking for a dresser for a family, things like that. Um, last week, we posted on our Facebook that we needed to raise $2,000 so that our students who were participating in cross country could have appropriate shoes to wear. And we were able to raise that money very quickly. So use your social media to follow those organizations and just, you know, just be, be welcoming. That's well said. Well said. Um, Hannah Van Ossel and Jamie Jansen from Kansas City International Academy. Thank you for coming on the Grill Nation show today. Yeah, thanks for thank having you. Me. And I want to thank all the listeners and watchers for joining us today. It was a lot of guests and, a, and just a really good show, I think, with a lot of great information about what charter schools are doing here in Kansas City and in the state of Missouri. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you again next week. Take care and have a good one.